Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, kicking off hour number three of the show, Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness, and we turn our attention to the NBA playoffs. And to help us break down all things NBA playoffs is our good friend Andre Snellens from ESPN on Twitter at Professor Driz. That's Professor D-R-Z. And, Dre, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. I do appreciate you, my man. I want to start off with what we've seen last, and that was the Suns and the Nuggets. And before we get into the Joker and anything that happened with the Suns owner, what did you think of what Devin Booker, has done the last couple of games helping the Suns even up that series at two. Yeah, Devin Booker has been amazing. And um, as you know, I was kind of expecting him to uh, have a, a, a big two-game stretch as the point guard, right? Because with Chris Paul out, I knew that they would put the ball more in Booker's hands. And he's shown all season, especially since Kevin Durant got there, that you know he was ready to be the lead guard and play at a really high level. So I thought he might average a, a double-double over the last couple games. I thought he might even average 30 and 10. I don't think I expected him to shoot like 75, 80% while averaging more like 40 and 10. Like that, that, that's where he's gone to the next level and shown that he's ready to be on that you know, inner circle best players of the game uh, list, especially once it comes to the postseason. It feels like he's the best player playing in the postseason right now. I mean, it really does. Devin Booker has been fantastic for the Suns. I did want to get your thoughts on the Joker and the little dust-up with the owner of the Suns. And I mean, what did you think that that, uh, you know, if that requires anything, he got a technical foul for it. Do you think anything more needs to come of it, or, or is the NBA going to do something more because of it? I don't think so. I don't think... Honestly, I don't think the NBA wants that smoke because okay. if they kick out Jokic for a pivotal game, which would be in Denver, game five, and Denver loses and the Suns go ahead and finish that off, I think it would look horrible for the league because his dust-up was with the owner of the Suns. Right. And the owner of the Suns was clearly playing it up, right? You know, he holds on to the ball. And then when, when, when Joker takes the, you know, tries to snatch the ball and it goes up in the air – the owner actually put his hand on Jokic's hip before Jokic, and then Jokic kind of pushed him off him and like, get off me. Right. And so, and then he flopped. I mean, they call it what yeah. it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, 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 I mean, Jokic is a big dude, but he didn't push him that hard. Like, he fell like Marcus Smart and when, when, you know, somebody breathes on him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you put that all together, it already turned out that the owner directly added a point to his teams, you know, because the technical was called on Jokic and that, that was a point for the Nuggets. If they get a game because of that or a series because of that, I don't think the NBA wants that at all. Well, that's a good point that you bring up. So with that being said, the series is all knotted up at two. What do the Nuggets have to do? What kind of adjustments can they make to get back to what they were doing before they went on this two-game losing streak? Yeah, so it's really interesting because the Suns won both games, but they were both close, right? Whereas the Nuggets, it felt like in those first two games, they had a handle on things. I think going back and playing at altitude, playing at home, that's an adjustment in and of itself because the Suns have been going with the thinner, you know, the shorter rotations. Now, since Chris Paul's been out, they've been playing their bench more, and, and, and that will that should help them. 
But um, I think the Nuggets, they have to keep doing what they're doing, going through Jokic in the middle and uh, letting Jamal Murray cook. And I think they really need to try to get Michael Porter Jr. going more, too, because he's another one that, you know, when his jumper is on, it's on. And so he shouldn't be scoring 11 points on 13 shots like he was the other night. Um, and if they can get all three of their guys going with the altitude and Aaron Gordon still uh, you know, doing his thing defensively against Durant, then um, they have a good chance to go back to uh, Phoenix up 3-2. ESPN's Andre Snellings joins us now on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. DeMond's got one for you. Go ahead, DeMond. I think it's time to have this, the conversation. Are the Phoenix Suns better with Chris Paul off the court? Ooh. I mean, it's a conversation that has to be had because we're not talking about prime Chris Paul anymore, right? You know, I I say this all the time. His 37th birthday last May, it was like he fell off a cliff. I've never seen anything. People say athletes age. He went from like a 17-9 and guy to an 8-4 guy for the rest of the playoffs, and he never came all the way back this year. Um, And and Paul needs the game to be a certain way. He's a maestro. He wants to – touch the ball every possession. He wants to control who gets the rock. Whereas we can see when the Suns are free-flowing, going through Devin Booker um, and, and Kevin Durant, they're, they seem to play at a higher level. I won't say they're better without Chris Paul because the team is so thin. Like, they need any talented player that they can have. But, yeah, running the, the, the offense more through their main guys and maybe even making Paul into more of a, a, a jump shooter off the ball guy when he gets back, that could be the move for them moving forward. And does DeAndre Aiden just not want to play on that team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Like, last season, that was the thought, right? Anytime he had a bad game, it was like, okay, he, he wants the bag. Well, he's got the bag now. So, I don't know if he's just like, I can't do anything with Jokic, like, so forget it, or, or what. I mean, because I remember a couple years ago, um, the Suns took out the Nuggets in the playoffs, and Aiden, it's not like Jokic, he shut him down, but he showed that he was athletic enough that he could, you know, hold his own against Jokic. Now it's like Jokic is on the court by himself. So, yeah, I don't know if he's having a bad day, if he's ready to get back to the Bahamas and hang out, <laughs> ready for the season to be over. He wants to go spin that bag. I mean, I can't speak on it. But uh, hopefully he finds his game in the next two, two games or else uh, or, uh, it still might be a, a short series, a shorter uh-huh. series. Andre Snellings is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Now, Dre, we did a show on Saturday right before the Warriors and Lakers game, and, well, the Lakers gave the business to the Warriors, and now they're up 2-1. They play this evening. I mean, this thing has been back and forth, back and forth. I still can't get a good read on this series. What are your thoughts, man? Break it down. What do, what do you think is going to happen this evening, or how is it going to shape out tonight? It's interesting to me. I feel like I'm on an island. I, I picked <laughs> the Lakers in six before okay. the series started, and I still – if anything, I feel like it could be Lakers in five. Like I feel okay. like I'm one of the few people that it looks to me like the Lakers are just better than the Warriors this year. Mm-hmm. You know, this this iteration of the Warriors isn't the team that won the championship last year. You know, they struggled on the road all year. They got Andrew Wiggins back, but they don't have any size. And this Lakers team, to me, just seems like a bad matchup because they have the size and then they have shooters to go around them. And so – what I'm expecting to happen is for the Lakers to win this game tonight, uh, maybe not by 30, but I, I feel like they should win. And if so, they go back to, to uh, San Francisco at 3-1. to one. They could close it out in the next game. That's what I'm expecting to happen. But I'm watching all of my colleagues are like, yeah, Golden State's going to tie it up, and it's a seven-game series. 
I don't see it that way. So I guess I'm going to learn something one way or the other tonight. Well, I'll tell you this. I keep saying that it's a seven-game series as well, but I also thought that the game three was going to be a lot closer than it was, and it was a blowout (laughs) for the Lakers. So let me ask you this. If Steve Kerr is going to turn this into a series, what kind of adjustments do you think he needs to make or can even make? Because like you said, the Lakers have the size. The the Lakers have the size. So two things. One – on Saturday, we talked a lot about, you know, odd and even games with, with, yep. with Anthony Davis. And so Steve Kerr really hopes even day uh, Anthony Davis shows up. Um, <laughs> with all of the press, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that AD is going to have a good game tonight, but obviously that's not what Kerr wants. What Kerr can do is continue to make things uncomfortable by switching things up. Don't let the Lakers get used to what you're doing. So the first game, they played big. That didn't work. The second game, they went small. That did work. They came back and went small again game three. That didn't work. Maybe you come back and, and, and try Looney more in game four. You know, let, let him grab 20 rebounds like he does and, and hope that that switches things up uh, uh, enough. He's also got to get Steph going. In the, these first three games, Steph is only averaging like 23 points a game, 24 points a game, and that's coming off of 50 in game seven. He needs to let Steph be Steph. I, I don't know how he breaks him open. You know, he, he uh, plays him more on the ball and let him do more uh, uh, pick-and-roll sets. He has to do something to let Steph pop for like 35, 40, 45 points and make the Lakers adjust to that. How are the Lakers getting to the free-throw line at such an alarming <laughs> rate, and the Warriors seem like they can't get to the line to save their lives? Because the war I mean, you know, the, the, the general rule of thumb is if you play more inside, you're going to get to the free-throw line more. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, you know, the Warriors, I mean, I saw the Draymond Green interview the other day. He was saying, we feel like we're going to the rim. But it's not the same. The Lakers are bigger, they're more athletic, and their best players do play at the rim, whereas the Warriors' best players typically are either shooting from deep or if they do get to the rim, they're shooting circus shots to kind of avoid contact. So it's not surprising to me that the Lakers are getting more free throws, but the Warriors typically could, could you know, match that efficiency by knocking down their threes at a higher clip, which we did not see in Game 3. Also, you mentioned how the Warriors need to get Steph going, but what can they do to get Jordan Poole going? Because he's looking at the number. Fire that- him. <laughs> Send him somewhere else. Send him to L.A. <laughs> Man, the, the exact same question you just asked me about DeAndre Ayton. It's like, you know, does Jordan Poole just not want to play with these dudes anymore? I don't know. We do know that Draymond jawed him early. In yeah, the you season. punched me in the face. I don't want to be there no more either. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, is it just like a little dude, you know, I, I tried to get through. But, I mean, he got the bag right after that, and so mm-hmm. I guess that could make the job feel better. But, yeah, he, he's he's out there acting like, I, you know, I I don't want to play or else I'm the diva. Why am I not getting more shots? Why do they keep going to this Steph Curry guy when they should be going to me? I don't know what it is, but, yeah, absolutely. If they could figure out a way to get the 20 points per game that he averaged during the regular season from him, that would go a, a big way towards helping them get back to, to San Francisco, tied to all. Talking all things NBA playoffs right now with Andre Stellings here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. How about Jimmy Butler and the Heat? They're up right now on the Knicks. Of course, they've got Game 4 action going on this evening. What are your thoughts on Jimmy Butler and, and, and the way he's been putting in the, uh, the, putting in the work to help the Heat lead that series? Absolutely. I mean, Butler, we, we talked earlier, was, was Devin Booker the best player in the playoffs so far. I mean, when healthy, Jimmy Butler has to be in the argument with him just because of the level that he's played at. The if healthy is the big question, though, because I think we talked about this on Saturday, too. Much like that Lakers-Warriors series, in my eyes, the Heat are just better than the Knicks, you know, all Mm -hmm. things being equal. 
And so they, they won both games that, that Butler played, and it was the same formula in both games because Butler's not just dropping 35 a game. He's also playing defense on Jalen Brunson, and Brunson is the catalyst for what the Knicks want to do, especially with, with Julius Randle still kind of hobbling. And he's not able to get his shots off against Butler, and he's not able to force the defense to sag onto him to set up open looks for others when Butler's defending him. So if Butler is healthy, to me, the Heat should win game four and go back to New York up three to one, um, ready to close it out. Oof. How can the excuse me? How are the Knicks not able to defend the Miami Heat? Because it's Jimmy Butler, and I think they keep making mention of it. Seven undrafted players. Bam isn't playing that well. So what are the Knicks? We all think about Tom Thibodeau, tough defensive teams. How are they not able to stop the Heat? Yeah, I mean, well, for one, we have to give Jimmy Butler his props. Like he is mm-hmm. playing at such a high level. Josh Hart is a a really good defender, but there's nothing that he can do one on one against Butler. Uh, Brunson is is too short to really help out. And, you know, if, if, if you help off of anybody else, all of those guys might be second-round undrafted picks, but they can all shoot. And so, you know, Butler, he is able to do what I just said Brunson's not able to do. He's able to either score himself or he's able to sag the defense in enough that his shooters are getting open looks and they're knocking them down. And so um, the, for, for Tom Thibodeau, the, the defensive guru, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult call when you're facing kind of a transcendent superstar that you don't match up well with. Um, he has to, I think, continue to go with Jalen Brunson. He's got to come with smarter doubles. Maybe he has to you, – you mentioned that, that uh, Adebayo is not really punishing him. Maybe he has to, to get Mitchell Robinson a little bit away from the rim and, and try to keep Butler from being able to get into uh, the paint and shoot 15-footers. Maybe Robinson has to be uh, a deterrent that moves out further. But, yeah, he's got to do something to slow down Jimmy Butler. Uh, or, I mean, you know, I guess as long as his ankle is healthy, it's going to be difficult, I think, for the Knicks to be able to get back in. All right, maybe prove me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Kevin Love, every time he's out there on the court, he's making winning plays. Do you think he's a, an important addition that the Heat were able to pick up midseason? Absolutely. Because he's, you know, I just talked about how when Butler is able to, you know, collapse the opposing defense, he needs shooters to kick it out to. And Kevin Love, for one, he's a stretch big man in general. For two, he's a championship-proven former all-star stretch big man. So these shots aren't too big for him. He, he knows he can make them. He knows that, that he can contribute on a championship-level squad. He's got that confidence. And you can't really have enough players like that in the postseason. The same with Kyle Lowry, you know. My my dad and my uncles used to always say, you know, as they were getting older, like I'm not the man that I once was, but I'm all the man once that I ever was. That that's, that feels like both Lowry and Love. They're, they're coming in and, and making these big winning plays to kind of support Butler. So Butler's the star. You've got the undrafted shooters. And then you've got these long-in-the-tooth veterans that just know how to win to make winning plays. Again, Andre Snellings joins us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness talking all things NBA playoffs. So we got to close out. Boston and Philly, that's knotted up at two. Uh, James Harden appeared again. I, I, I spent all day Saturday dogging the mess at him because he was a, a no-show for two <laughs> games in a row. Then he shows up. So make sense of this one. Where, where are we going with Boston and, and Philly? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not even just Harden, right? It's like Boston could really feel like they should have swept this series. Right, like they they lost the first game. The MB didn't even play when Harden went crazy, but it was still a game that the Celtics had a chance to win at the end. And of course, the game yesterday, 
I still, I mean, live action, I was tweeting about, man, how on earth do you not get a shot um, with 19 seconds left and two timeouts? And then, of course, that's been the topic of conversation on every show all day today. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't even want to pile on to that, but the Celtics have been the better team in this series. So it's got to be alarming to them that it's 2-2 two to two going back to Boston. Um, I don't feel like, you know, like we said on Saturday, I don't think that you can expect James Harden to score 45 again. But then he went and dropped forty-two and eight. So you know, right. I feel like there's got to be a middle ground, though, because like we talked about with Anthony Davis, is like Harden is either forty-two and eight or like seven and six. You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah. like there has to be some kind of middle ground, and I feel like he's going to find that. I feel like um, Embiid is still playing himself in the shape. In the fourth quarter, he was struggling against uh, Horford. I feel like he's getting stronger, and so. If in games five, six, and seven they find that sweet spot where you're getting the Harden that's more like a 22 and 12 kind of guy and the Embiid who's MVP level Embiid, the Celtics could be in trouble. And if so, they'll be kicking themselves because this is a series that was there to the take. How big is this for Jason Tatum to advance this team? Because again, like you mentioned, this Celtics team looks like the better team. I feel like they're the better team. But if they lose it, how many questions will be pointed at Jason Tatum? Yeah, Tatum's going to get some questions because he's the face of the franchise. I'm honestly looking a little bit more at Jalen Brown. You know, like, there have been two games now, the, first, the both games that the Celtics lost, where Brown was killing it. You know, like 15, mm-hmm. 20 points through the first, you know, two and a half quarters, and then nothing in, in the fourth quarter or overtime. I think he took three shots and scored three points in the last 22 minutes of the game yesterday. Um, and that's not even, of course, including the, the defensive play that, that everybody's talking about. I'm just talking about him as a superstar player, the guy that's playing next to Jason Tatum. They have to find a way for both of them to be able to shine and the rest of the team to support them, as opposed to, like, yesterday, it was almost like Tatum and Marcus Smart, you know what I'm saying, instead of Jalen Brown down the stretch. So, yes, Tatum will have to answer some questions, but at the same token, he's young, he's playing at a really high level, and his team is late in the playoffs every season. So I don't think he's going to have the questions that, like, say, a James Harden will have. But I think because Jalen Brown, they're talking about having to re-sign him soon. They could sign to him to an extension as soon as this offseason. And he's been making unhappy sounds in interviews all season. Mm-hmm. So he's the one that I'm really looking at over the rest of these playoffs. Is he going to have a positive taste in his mouth or a negative one as he uh, potentially goes to the negotiating table? Professor, speaking of someone who doesn't want to answer any questions, Joe Mazzula, should the finger <laughs> be pointed at him a little bit more? I mean, he's going to, because of the fact that he was replacing Ime Udoka, and Udoka got them to the finals last season. Anything short of that, because of the circumstances of how Missoula took over the job, he's going to catch questions for that. Um, and then, he honestly, he seemed like he wanted to smoke right after game two, the way he was in the, that press conference. Like, y'all ain't got no questions about my adjustment. And, and it just steps <laughs> off. If you shine that kind of light on yourself, then you better do good. You know what I'm saying? Like, Muhammad Ali was the greatest because he talked it and then he walked it. So if Missoula is going to have that type of attitude, he has to be able to point to what his team has accomplished and say that, I, you know, I did this to you. And so if they do lose this series that they should have won, um, they're going to be looking at him, his lack of adjustments, his lack of timeout calls, and, and it's going to reflect on him. Now he's a really young coach, and his team was really good all season. So I don't think it's going to be like a fireable type of fence. But, yeah, I do think he'll catch some smoke 
if uh, if they're not back in the finals again this season. No, I'm gonna say it. The lights look a little too bright for Joe Mazzulla out there. <laughs> but um, wow. keeping it, keeping it on that series, I do want to ask James Harden where you said maybe he's gonna find that middle ground. But do you think think that the best option for the Sixers would be just play through him, play play him as if he's back in Houston? Yeah, I mean, you know, Joel Embiid said it after Game Three, right? Like, just shoot. You know what I'm saying? Like, be you and shoot. Don't defer. And you can visibly see in Game Three, it wasn't even just that Harden was missing. It was like he he looked like he didn't know how to play. You know, like he was. You know what I'm saying? Like Keegan Murray or something. Like a rookie. He was out there. He was dribbling when he should have been shooting. He was shooting awkwardly out of rhythm. He was passing into traffic instead of taking a shot. And so, you know, I feel like maybe making him comfortable should be um, the, the 76 er strategy because Embiid is good enough to get his. And he's still playing himself into full shape. So if Harden is out there playing like Houston, James Harden, and letting Embiid play off of him, yeah, that could be their winning formula against a team as tough as the Celtics. All right, I want to switch it up real quick because I saw on Saturday you were also tweeting about Aljermaine Sterling and Henry Cejudo. Did you have Aljermaine winning that just hands down? I did um, because of, like, the the, the wrestling. Like, Aljermaine, he was just going for takedowns, and and it it was like a volume game. We were talking about Houston James Harden. It was like he was going for takedowns, like Harden shooting threes. Um, But he got enough of them that, I felt like the, the, the ground game was pretty close to even. But the striking game, Aljo, was, was, it was almost like two to one with significant strikes. And so with, with that type of advantage over the five rounds, I felt like there were at least three rounds that he won comfortably enough that, you know, I was surprised it went to a split. I thought it might have been, you know, a unanimous decision. But, yeah, I did have him as the clear winner. There you go. Andre Snellens from ESPN, Professor Driz on Twitter, hitting you with all the NBA knowledge and even some UFC action there at the end. Dre, thanks so much, my man. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for? Oh, yeah, I just turned in an article. Um, so um, we, we have a WNBA fantasy basketball uh, nice. that we, we started running on ESPN last year. It is so fun. I won our league, and so, you know, I have bragging rights. But <laughs> I just wrote an article on Brittany Griner that's supposed mm. to run tomorrow where I kind of am trying to take a look at what do we expect, you know, her numbers to look like this season. And I've, we've never seen anything like this. So, you know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm nice mm-hmm. with my numbers, but there's, you know, there's only so much I can do to project. So I really just kind of shine a light on the circumstances and, and, and make sure that people are paying attention to what's going on in the WNBA with Brittany Griner and with all of, like, the excitement. Y'all have got the aces as the defending yeah. champs, you know. So, um Y'all should be, if y'all aren't watching the WNBA, you should be watching religiously because that sport is the real deal. No, we are. We definitely are. We're excited about the Aces, the addition of Candace Parker. What are your early projections on the Aces, the defending champs? It's a lot harder when you got the target on your back. Oh, yeah. It is a lot harder, but they've been playing at that level for a minute. A.J. Wilson, to me, is the best player in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Candace Parker is my favorite player, so put those two together, and it's hard not to have the Aces as the favorite. Of course, the Liberty, you know, mm-hmm. they're concentrating their own group of former uh, MVPs as well. And quietly, when I've been doing the team previews for the, the Washington Mystics and the, the, um, the Connecticut Sun, both of those teams, they don't have all of the MVPs, but they're really, really strong. So I feel like this WNBA season should be uh, uh, potentially a classic, but I think the Aces are clearly the best in the West. 
and uh, they're waiting to see who comes to face them out the East. I like it. I like it a lot. Dre, it's great to catch up with you, man. It was fun doing a show with you on Saturday. I promise you next oh, time yeah. we got to get more than an hour, though. That's all i got to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to get the full three next time. But thanks for having me. Thanks, Dre. Uh, I, I, I look forward to coming back. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Great stuff right there. Andre Snellings from ESPN. Fantastic job breaking down the NBA, breaking down the WNBA, d- dipping into UFC right there. Professor Driz, that's Professor DRZ on Twitter and with us here on Raider Nation Radio 920. 425 is the time. We'll take a quick break. Come back, get your calls and texts. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Many thanks to the professor, Andre Snellings from ESPN. Professor Driz talking all things NBA, breaking down the playoffs. We've been doing a lot of individual teams, kind of doing some backgrounds on them, but Thought we'd round all the series up into one with Dre. He's fantastic. Really good work he does on ESPN, ESPN.com. He really deep dives in. DeMond, you, I mean, you're an analytical kind of guy. You like the number side of things. Dre is a really good deep diver when it comes to the analytic side of things. So uh, definitely give him a check. Uh, look, look at all the stuff he puts up there. He puts up a lot of great work and was very uh, happy to have him on the show this afternoon. Same as uh, Andrew Hutchinson, best of Arkansas sports. He joined us earlier as we were talking all things Dalton Wagner, the offensive tackle out of Arkansas, the undrafted free agent, was a priority free agent for the Raiders. Gene Henley from Times Free Press, he joined us to talk about offensive lineman McClendon Curtis out of Chattanooga, and then Vic Tafer joined us to talk about the Raiders and what they did at the Senior Bowl. Of course, Raider Nation, we want to hear from you. 702-365-9200 and the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. Uh, thinking about this Black Friday game, we'll find out who's going to be playing in that game on the 10th. We'll find out the whole schedule on the 11th, but uh, did confirm that we'll find out uh, certain individual games. We'll find out certain uh, that Black Friday game and others on the 10th, so I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, us as NFL fans are always excited about that. The NFL has figured out how to make even the schedule release a big event when it comes to the NFL. Uh, So want to get your thoughts on the Black Friday game. Should that be a Raiders home game? Should that be a Raiders home game this year? Should it be a Raiders home game every year? I, for one, believe it should be a Raider home game every year. The Cowboys and the Lions, they have Thanksgiving on lock. Cool, no problem. The Raiders should have Black Friday. It just makes all the sense in the world. They're the silver and black. Enough said. <laughs> they play in a black stadium. Simple as that. I mean, it's really – I don't have to, you know, do a lot of uh, math problems or a lot of a scientific, pro, uh, you know, project to come up with that, that solution. I think that the Raiders should be the Black Friday game every Friday if they're going to have those games. And so we'll find out by way of Amazon coming up on the 10th. So that's one question that we threw out there to you at 69187, keyword R&R, and also the, the, the listener line is 702-365-9200. What defensive rookie do you think makes the biggest impact in 2023 and why? We've had a lot of good feedback on that as well, and, of course, we want to hear from you. Uh, Vegas Pete hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line. and said, uh, teams should only have to play Thursday after their bye week. That's fair, right? Otherwise, both teams look tired and bad. Game four is pivotal, Q. If the Lakers win tonight, the Warriors will need to win three in a row, which I don't see happening. So two different subjects right there from Vegas Pete. Uh, one on the Warriors. Yeah, man, I, I don't know. Uh, it's <laughs> it's not looking good. I'll tell you that. From a Warriors fan point of view, it's not looking good. Uh, the way they got worked the other night by the Lakers, uh, I, I, don't, I always believe that it's never as bad or it's never as good as it looks. So I don't think that the Warriors are really that bad, you know, or, or, or they're not you know, on the level of the Lakers like they were the other night. Just like I didn't think that the Warriors were that much better than the Lakers when they blew them out the game before. 
Uh, but it just, to me, and the same thing I said at the very beginning of the series, that that size that the Lakers has, to me, is just too much for the, the Warriors. They barely escaped Sacramento with a victory in that series. So uh, I would not be shocked at all to see the Lakers advance. Of course, I don't want that to happen. I want the Warriors to win. But I'll tell you right now, the Warriors aren't champions anyway. This year is not a championship year for the Warriors. I said that at the very beginning of the season. I didn't believe that it was a championship season. Uh, I didn't think that it was a championship team. You can't win on the road. Uh, and I don't think that there's such thing as all of a sudden flipping the switch and saying, oh, we were just playing during the regular season. Now we're going to turn it on. I just I don't buy that. And if that's what it is, then shame on you, right? I mean, you should respect the season more than that as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't think the Lakers are a championship team either. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Let's keep it real. I don't think they're a championship team either. I just think that they got the size to win this series. So there's that. Uh, but when it goes back to playing – uh, on Thursday after their bye week, I can see that. I really, I mean, outside of Thanksgiving, I really don't even like Thursday night games, you know, because, again, it is that quick turnaround, and it's it, you can see it a lot of times. And, you know, the thing about a football player playing on Sunday, the turnaround playing a couple days later, they don't even have any time to practice. I mean, really, you don't, you don't really get any practice time. You're, it's all basically walkthroughs. You have your day off that you always have, and then everything else is kind of sped up, but it just – it, it just doesn't feel right. So outside of the Thanksgiving games that are on Thursday, I w really wouldn't have a problem if they didn't do Thursdays at all. But obviously, they are. And I would have no problem if they didn't do Black Friday at all either. But obviously, they are. And DeMond said earlier in the show, uh, as long as there's money to be made, uh, these networks are going to find a day, find a way to play these games. Hell, there may be a Wednesday game sooner rather than later if they find a way to mer market it and, and make some money off of it. But then you also think about, you know, our players, every time it's the Thursday game, it's, hey, but this is like an early buy. Yeah. I feel like if you play on a Friday night, it's not even that benefit of, hey, it's an early bye. You know when you get out of school a little bit early? Yeah. It, it, there's a difference between a half a day and then a three-quarters of a day. Right. Then it's like we, you're so close to Sunday already that you're not even getting that benefit of the extra wet, the extra rest that they like to say you get with playing on a Thursday game. It was funny. Commissioner uh, Goodell, when we were at the owners' meetings in Phoenix, he, he, uh, he closed down the owners' meetings. And I remember Albert Breer, matter of fact, was sitting right next to me and uh, asked him about – uh, you know, just kind of doing the games because, you know, the, the sponsor, you know, Amazon's paying the money for it. So that's why that they're doing it. He said most players hate the Thursday night games. And, and Roger Goodell said, well, I've talked to a lot of players that like it because it's it's like an extra bye week and all that. And I remember Albert Breer was just like, OK, <laughs> sure they do. Like, I mean, yeah, that's that's true. But if if they had the option, they would give up Thursdays completely. They wouldn't even worry about it. Players don't like Thursdays. The turnaround is ridiculous, and it's just it kind of is what it is. And this year, every team doesn't have to play on Thursday. So, DeMond, there's a chance that a team like the Raiders could play twice on, on Thursday this year, right? I mean, I, I don't think that that's going to happen, but there's really – I mean, there's so many changes that we'll find out in the schedule. There's, there's teams that don't necessarily are, aren't going to have a Thursday night game at all. And so then all of a sudden you're looking around, if you're a team like whoever, say – Say the Raiders play twice on Thursday, and maybe the Chiefs don't play at all on Thursday. It's like, wait, wait, what the hell? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how did we get two and they didn't get any, right? So that's, that's going to be the next conversation. Yeah, some of the things I'm looking at Adam Schefter's tweet right now, among the changes to the schedule, NFL will have a Black Friday game. That's what we've been talking about all day. Yep. Games don't necessarily belong to networks anymore. Yep. All games are free agents. Or I know that hey, everybody's streaming, but I think that's a big deal for the consumer to know where you're going to find the game and how long is that going to take. And also, not all teams are guaranteed to have a primetime spot. I didn't know that was a thing beforehand. Yeah, 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 it was. Uh, but they were all basically Thursday night games, right? There was, there was 
every team had to play on Thursday at some point in, in some capacity. So now this year that they don't have to do that. But, you know, with, the, with every, team, every game being a free agent, like they're not network exclusive, the only thing that I like about that is that you'll get announcers that you don't normally hear. You'll get them on games that you wouldn't normally hear them on. Right, like I had someone point out, like, oh, great, Kevin Harlan might be on a Cowboy game now, right? And so uh, guys that are exclusive on certain networks will be calling games that they might not necessarily have called before. And then guys that you're used to calling a certain game all the time, you might get a different voice, and you'll say, oh, that's cool to hear a different voice than what we're used to hearing each and every Sunday. So, uh, you know, there's some things to like about that. But, again, I think the biggest deal is the, is the Thursday night games. Uh, you know, every team doesn't have to play a Thursday night game. And then also, you know, that Black Friday game, what's, what's that going to be all about? So uh, on the 10th is when we find out a bunch of the, the, uh, the, the games, when are they going to be released. Matter of fact, as I'm looking at the, the uh, report or the email from NFL Communications, they say uh, international games will be May 10th on NFL Network and ESPN. That's where you'll find out when the international games are. And there's a chance as the Buffalo Bills are playing overseas that maybe the Raiders are going to be playing overseas as well, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, a home game for the Bills, so it wouldn't be a, a home game for the Raiders, but there's a chance that they could be going and playing overseas. So they could be involved in the international game. The Black Friday game, you'll find out on May 10th as well by way of Amazon. They could be involved in that. I think they should be involved in that, but that's just me. Uh, certain individual games, May 10th on Fox and Friends and CBS Mornings. Uh, you'll find out about those. And then select individual games, May 11th on the Today Show and Good Morning America. And then the real deal thing. So think about that. Think about how many different stops they've made to roll out the schedule. Right? International games, we'll do that on the 10th. Black Friday game, we'll do that on the 10th. Like one game. It's one freaking game. You can't just roll it out. They've got to make a big to-do, select individual games. So they're going to give Fox and Friends and CBS Mornings, they're going to give them a couple, uh, a couple games. Okay, here, these are the ones that you can, you can tell when they're going to play. And then the next day on the 11th, the t- Today Show, Good Morning America. All right, here's a couple games for you. And by the time we get on the air on the 11th around 2 o'clock, we'll have about 15 different tweets of people leaking every game. Oh, here's the Raiders schedule leaked. Oh, here's the... Chiefs schedule leaked. Oh, here's the Chargers schedule leaked. Here's the Broncos. I mean, we're going to get all of that. But you got four or five different outlets for the schedule. Yeah, 17-game schedule. <laughs> shout out to you if you're that much of a fan of the NFL that you can't wait until later in the day. If I'm you are going to be the person that's recording Good Morning America right. or Fox and Friends or CBS this morning and be like, mm. Can't miss this. Got to see when that international game is. Man, if you don't tune in to Robin Roberts and company every morning, then don't tune in just for the NFL game. You know what I'm saying? If if Michael Strahan's not your guy every morning, don't make him, <laughs> don't make him your guy on the 11th just because you want to find out a couple games. And I always think that the schedule release leaks are so dumb. Like, I don't, I don't need you to leak it to me. I, I honestly don't. I don't need to see on Twitter – that, oh, these are the games. And it's so funny the way that they'll break them down. They'll, they'll, someone will tweet it out and be like, oh, here's all the games, but I don't have the times. Okay, well, then you don't have the schedule, right? I mean, you have the schedule when you have the times, you have the games, you know, you know this, that, and the other, what the dates are. Fine. I mean, we already know the teams that are going to be playing. You know, we already know the Raiders, who they, their opponents are going to be. We just don't know the schedule or we don't know the order of it. So that's fine. I can wait till it's, it's actually released. And we'll do some specials on it. Of course, uh, the Raiders will do some specials as well with uh, Raiders.com. And I believe myself and uh, Jesse Merrick will be part of that from News3LV. Uh, we'll be part of that. Eddie Pascal's out on paternity leave. So uh, I'll be doing – I don't know how I'm going to do it actually this week. Uh, apparently I'll be doing Upon Further Review, and it drops on the 11th. 
but the 11th is when the schedule drops. So I don't know if we're going to do back-to-back shows. I don't know what we're going to do. We, I think it's still TBD. I think it's still to be determined. We don't think we really know exactly what our process is with that because that's uh, that's going to kind of be all bunched up together. So I think Eddie Eddie uh, did a good thing with going out of paternity leave. So I guess his wife picked a good time to have a baby. <laughs> Shout out to Eddie Pascal and company, man, his wife. They they uh, they made a good decision on having a baby at the right time so they didn't get caught up in all the helter-skelter that is the schedule release, the international release, the Black Friday release, the select individual release, and the select individual release again. He don't have to worry about all that. I can appreciate that. 441 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back, get some more of your calls and texts as we close out the show on this Monday. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Just going through the list of the Raiders 2023 draft class and their undrafted free agents as well. We've already done a little background on Tyree Wilson out of Tech. Multiple backgrounds on him. Michael Mayer, we checked up on him. Obviously the tight end out of Notre Dame. We've talked a little quarterback Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue, the round four pick. Christopher Smith out of Georgia, we did a profile on him. Nesta J. Silvera out of Arizona State. We've done a profile on him. Today, Dalton Wagner, offensive tackle from Arkansas. And McClendon Curtis, offensive lineman from Chattanooga. Tomorrow, we'll get caught up on all things Amari Bernie out of Florida. And we'll probably get a little bit more than that as well. I'm sure we'll get a few more uh, folks on to talk about some players. I'm anticipating getting Trey Tucker, getting a little preview of Trey Tucker, uh, wide receiver out of Cincinnati. And I don't know if you heard the story, Demond, but uh, I had the guy from the Locked On Bearcats, Cincinnati Bearcats show hit me up on Friday while we were on the radio, as a matter of fact, on Cinco de Mayo. And he said, hey, could you join my show to talk about Trey Tucker? And I said, yeah, actually, I'd like you to join the show as well to do a little background on Trey Tucker. I'd like to get to know Trey a little bit better. And he said, yeah, sounds good. So we set up a, a, a conversation for, for Sunday. And this is before I went to Top Golf on Sunday. So I was here at the house and knocked out an interview with him for about 30 minutes. Right. I did. It wasn't like I was just talking about Trey Tucker. I mean, we talked about Trey Tucker for like the first three or four questions. And then it became how do Raider fans feel about the Bengals? Uh, What do the Raider fans think when they think of Bo Jackson and the Bengals? Uh, What do you think of Joe Burrow? Uh, Josh McDaniels? Like it was it was just some it was kind of weird. Right. It was kind of a weird conversation. And so anyway, I went with it. Apparently, it's his Friday show for his Locked On show. So I guess this upcoming Friday is basically Q does my show for me because it was like a 30-minute – like I said, it was a 30-minute conversation that I, I had with him. So three segments worth. So, one, I'm not very proud of it because it wasn't very good. But when it's all said and done – and not not on my part either. But uh, anyway, when it's all said and done, I was like, all right, you got like 10 minutes so I can, you know, Howard Cosell you on Trey Tucker and everything. He's like, oh, I got another interview I got to do. And I was like, so that's just it? Ain't no way. Yeah, he said, that's just, and I was like, that's just it. He's like, well, I, I might be able to squeeze you in a little bit later. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's cool. It's cool. It's all good. I, I, I don't need to be squeezed in later. I can, uh, I, can, I can find someone else to fill this void. But, yeah, 30-minute conversation about Trey Tucker. Well, no, excuse me. A 30-minute conversation about whatever the hell he wanted to talk about. It started with Trey Tucker, and then I didn't even get, like one or two questions in about Trey at all because it was like, oh, I got I got another interview to do. I was like, uh, yeah, that's not quite how this works, but okay. I w- so that'll be the last time. What did he have to talk to you about? About I'm not saying you're not an interesting person, but if you're the locked on Bearcats, 
I know. That's what Hugh I, Myers. Yeah. I know. That's what I, I don't understand. We we talked about the Raiders. We talked about the Bengals. We talked about Joe Burrow. Uh, talked about you know quarterback of the future for the Raiders. Jimmy G. Like nothing had to do with the Cincinnati Bearcats except for Trey Tucker, and that was only like three questions or four questions. Because I record. Let's put it like this. I recorded the audio part of it because it was on video, and we all know how much I hate video. But anyway, it was on video, and I recorded the audio. And at the end of it, I was like. I can't. There's nothing I can get out of this, so I just erased it. It was a waste of 30 minutes. So then I was, I was hot. I was angry as all get out. Like as soon as the the interview was over, we were planning on going to Top Golf, as I mentioned. And I think for the first 20 minutes after that interview, I was so fired up, I was just walking around the house like, "Can you believe that? Can you believe this just happened? Wife, can you just believe this just happened?" Didn't even try to ask about Sauce Garner. That's one of you guys. Nothing. Oh no, no! It was, it was, it was. Like I said, I don't know. And if you decide to listen to the Lockdown Bearcats show on Friday, which you probably won't, I know it's appointment listening now. No, I mean it's 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 just me talking. Like it's it's asking about the fan base. I mean, literally, I feel like I did his show for him. Like I should probably get a couple extra dollars for doing his show on Friday. So there, yeah, there's that. So now that I've vented and I've uh, dogged this guy out, I don't even remember what his name was, but yeah, he. T- he did hit me up a little later and was like, well, I may be able to squeeze you in a little later tonight. And I was like, dude, I'm past it already. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm good. I don't, don't do me any favors, please. I, I appreciate you. Do me a favor. Don't do me no favors. I just, look, that might be the wrong attitude to have, but I was good, man. I don't, I don't spend all this time on a Sunday afternoon giving him time and then, and then him just being like, oh, I, I don't have the time for that. When this was the original agreement to begin with. Right? I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do you a favor. You do me a favor. Cool. That'll be a solid. I was going to have it on the podcast today and everything. Nope. Nothing. So there is that. But anyway, we'll do – I start saying all that. We'll do plenty of more uh, profiles on the players that the Raiders have drafted and also the guys they've signed as undrafted free agents. Got a couple text messages I want to get to before the show ends up. And, of course, you can always hit us up as well, 702-365-9200. You want to get your comments on before we wrap up Monday's show. Mailman Raiders at Q. Silver and Black Friday makes all the sense in the world. Don't listen to Demon. He's just mad they don't got a Titan Tuesday or some crap. LOL. And I think the most production will come from Wilson, but I could see Chris Smith getting a ton of burn, so he'd be my wild card. Also, they should get the producers of the network together and just have them draft the games that they want. Laughing my ass off. That's Mailman Raider. And, yeah, again, to me, Black Friday, Silver and Black, it makes all the sense in the world. Like, it, it made – when they first announced that last year that they were going to have a game on Black Friday, I was like, oh, that's a Raider home game. Like, that was – I don't even – I didn't even put that much thought into it because I thought it was almost a no-brainer. And then hearing DeMond today say, oh, you're thinking, you're, you're thinking about it too hard or you're, you're, you're putting too much thought into it. I was like, really? I thought that was a foregone conclusion. So now I'm questioning myself. And then we had Vic on. Bingo. And Vic was, and Vic was like, well, well, why? And I was like, oh, damn. Well, maybe I'm just – maybe I'm tripping. But we'll see. We'll see on the 10th about the Silver and Black show and Silver and Black uh, Friday, if they have that. I just think it, all make, it makes all the sense in the world. It just does. The second part of that text that I really like is having the networks draft which picks that, which games that they want. Yeah. I, if, it was just, if it was like an auction and they were just bidding on, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes is playing Joe Burrow, we'll, give, we'll put $100 million. Maybe to me, like a, like a media geek that, that's into that stuff, but I would be so curious. How much is NBC willing to pay for a Sunday night football game between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes or something like that? Yeah, no, that that would that would be cool, but then I I don't think that they'd be able to really plan it very well. You know what I mean? Like I guess, unless I guess if they did all that right now. But the problem with some of these primetime games is they look good on paper in May when the schedule's released, and then all of a sudden you see how bad a team is or how good a team is, you're like, "Eh, this isn't going to be as good as we thought it was going to be." Well, that's looked- why you got to roll the dice. I would watch that show rather than the um the schedule release show. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we'll see. Again, we'll find out about all the schedules when it comes out on May 11th for the official, the whole thing, the real meal deal thing. And, of course, we'll have a lot to say about the schedule when it comes to the silver and black. Also, Vegas Pete hit us back up on the WBroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. He said, uh, and he's talking about Ricky Henderson, how I said that I used to do everything like Ricky when it came to playing baseball. And uh, he said, good thing you don't talk like Ricky or we'd be all scratching our heads. And that was the one thing I could not do and I'll never attempt to do. Like Ricky is talking to third person. That used to crack me up. Even when he did his Hall of Fame speech, I thought it was great because of what he was able to do. I just couldn't do that. There's no way that I could do it. But Ricky is my guy. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in my little office, and I'm staring over at the book by Howard Bryant. Uh, Ricky is right there on my bookshelf across from me. Uh, he, he was my dude. Like, there is no doubt I had a, a plenty of A's, Ricky Henderson jerseys. And I went – it's funny. I was telling you my story about – uh, me in, in baseball and, and how good I did in my first day and that my dad brought the newspaper. So I, I ran downstairs to go find it during the commercial break, and I don't know where the box is at. So I got to find it. Like, that's going to be uh, job number one after I get off the air tonight because if it's missing in action, there's going to be some heads roll. <laughs> it, it's, it's, only, it's my last claim to fame. It's my last little trophy that I have that says I was worth the salt in anything besides radio, and uh, I got to find it. I know that I was. In my mind, I know how good I was, but unless it's on paper, nobody else knows. It's like DeMond's history of basketball. Nobody has any kind of recollection because there's no history of it. So I got to at least have my baseball. Real know. No, no, th- there's nobody that knows anything. Like, like what we had when we had Gene on, when uh, Gene Henley was talking about McClendon, and he said, oh, yeah, he'll tell you he plays basketball, but he doesn't really. That's all I could think of, and I even said it during the interview. I was like, no, it's like DeMond. So as soon as – Me and uh, Curtis will be hooping it up. Yeah, I bet. I bet. The Curtis will win that because, well, Curtis got the size on you, and, yeah, there ain't nothing you're going to do against him, but it doesn't mean that he's a really good basketball player. But I'm telling you, as soon as this show's over, I'm going to go find that box with that newspaper clipping that said I went 4-4 four for four and stole four bases, and my team lost, I believe it was 8-4. to four. I was the only one who scored any runs that day. It's really embarrassing. And I got my baseball card in it, too. I'll find it. I promise you I will find it. And if I do, I'm going to tweet out the article. I'll tweet out the picture of my baseball card as well at your boy Q254. Of course, I put it on Raider Nation Radio 920 as well at R&R 920 AM. And if I'll tell you right now, if I don't find that box and it's missing in action, or maybe it's gone as we were doing some spring cleaning a little bit before spring, there's going to be problems in this household. <laughs> there's going to be some problems in this here house. I'm just saying. I don't know whose head's going to have to roll, but somebody's head's going to roll. We'll go find somebody to import them into the house and make their head roll, right? I'll bring someone in just to fire them, and then we'll kick them out. Or maybe it'll be Vegas Jess. It was probably Vegas Jess. You know he hated on me when he pushed off on me in the back playing football. He probably hated on me in baseball, too, when he saw my great stats. That'll be for tomorrow. We'll talk about it later. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your evening. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. Have a good one.